This episode of the PTV Sports Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who are the men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. With this exclusive offer, you can get 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code PTVPOD at manscaped.com. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance. The craftsmanship and detail on the 4.0 are next level. Fellas, turn the volume up for a sec. I want to talk to you real quick. You're getting ready for a hot date. It's Saturday night. Going out to dinner with your lady. You figure, I'll give the old bush a nice crew cut. So you pull out your old razor, or your decrepit old electric razor that has one wacky tooth. You turn it on. Carefully press the blades down on the old coin purse, and boom! That whack tooth just set you back five hours and an emergency room visit. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer by focusing on intelligent functionality and an incredibly comfortable grooming experience. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced, skin safe technology. And not to mention, it's waterproof. Now I feel confident shaving my boys. This upgraded trimmer includes a multi-function on-off switch that can engage as a travel lock. It also gives you the ability to turn on the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The Lawnmower 4.0 even allows you to customize your trim through additional guard lengths with sizes 1, 2, 3, and 4. Did I mention wireless charging? The new wireless charging system uses electromagnetic induction which can help battery length last longer. Men, if you've been shaving with the same nut trimmer on your face, you've been doing it wrong. No person wants to end up with pubes in their mouth. It's time to get your own ball hair and body trimmer with Manscaped to make me time the best time and enhance your confidence with some smooth, nice boys. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PTVPOD at manscaped.com. That's code PTVPOD at manscaped.com. Your balls and I will thank you. And a huge thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring this podcast episode. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the PTV Sports Podcast. I am coming with the energy today. You have no idea how long I've waited to actually say the words, we are brought to you by, or this podcast is sponsored by. And I feel like it's been such a long journey, but it really hasn't been if you if you think about it. Not even two years into the podcast itself. That's not even the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel, I haven't even talked about it, actually is coming up, pardon me, I'm still a little bit under the weather, uh, is coming up in under a month. So two years almost on the YouTube channel. If you haven't checked out my latest stream of content that I will be putting out probably for the foreseeable future, uh, it will probably just run NFL mock drafts per team. Uh, obviously, there's 32 teams in the NFL. I have done three so far. I've done the New York Jets, which was the first one, the Detroit Lions, which was the second, and then which came out yesterday was the New York Giants. Now, go take a look at all three of those. If you haven't, uh, they've actually gotten so much love. I can't thank you guys enough for the love that you have shown to these three episodes, episodes, videos, but so many more. I usually do my polling on... Instagram and Twitter of what what mock draft for what team you guys would want to see next. So like, for instance, last week after I did the New York Jets one, I polled 
out of the Jaguars, the Texans, the Lions, and the Giants, who you guys would want to see next. And the overwhelming majority on Instagram said Giants, but the overwhelming majority on Twitter said Lions. So I put both of those votes together, and the Lions still came out on top, even though the Giants had like 25 votes on Instagram compared to the Lions had two on Instagram. That's how many people voted for the Lions on Twitter. So I go usually by that. Uh, I don't know which one I will be working on next. Probably I'm recording this at 2.20 on Friday, December 3rd. So I don't know when the next one will be coming out. I'll probably start working on the next one tomorrow. I still have to poll everything. So I'll start working on a few of them and then I'll let the poll run for 24 hours and then I'll know for sure on Sunday what you guys want to see next. Uh, Just the feedback has been tremendous. I can't thank you guys enough. I can't thank Manscaped enough for reaching out and actually sponsoring this episode and the episodes running from this episode, which is December 3rd, to the episodes running through December 1st. So whatever episode you listen to from this point, from December 3rd all the way to January 1st, 2022, please share the video. Please let everyone know that you can get 20% off of all Manscaped products when you use the code PTVPOD at manscaped.com. Free shipping. It's a great deal. I just got my stuff in the mail. I didn't even open it actually yet because you guys heard the audio version of my ad. When I run my next mock draft, I have to run my video ad through that video. So I'm hoping that that video blows up and I'm hoping enough people use the promo code to where I can get a long-term paid sponsorship from Manscaped. So Incredibly thankful for everything that has transpired over the past couple months, the popularity of the YouTube channel, the growth of the YouTube channel, the you know sponsors, sponsorship opportunities. It's really been surreal, and it's all happening during the greatest time of my life. I'm getting a new job uh, very soon as well. You know, I guess they say when it rains, it pours, and a lot of people use that in, in like a negative term, but I guess you could say when it rains, it pours in my sense in a positive way because everything good has just been happening all at once. And don't get me wrong. There are some bumps in the road, like all these, these doctor appointments that I have to go through uh, to get clearances. And it's a little bit of a pain in the ass, but it's a small price to pay for being happy and being exactly where I want to be at this point in my 25 year old life. So uh, I thank God. I thank Manscaped. I thank all of you for, you know, supporting me, my girlfriend, her lovely family, my lovely family, uncle Michael, uh, all my, he's, he's a regular now. Everyone knows him by now who listens to this. I mentioned him a lot. Uh, my, my best friends, you know, Ethan, Chris, Christian, Nuck, Matthew, who used to be a co-host of this show. Everyone is just tremendous supporters. And you guys, I can't thank you guys enough. And I feel like I go on this thankful tangent before every single episode, but I feel like it's necessary. I feel like it honestly brings a positive aura into the podcast episode itself. And we're also closing in on 100. And I have a very special guest lined up for number 100. Um, I guess you could say this is bigger than Joe Rogan 1000 when he had Joey Diaz and Tom Segura on. It's definitely not bigger than that. It definitely won't even do numbers anywhere in the same stratosphere as Joe Rogan. But I just like to make the comparison. It, It feels like a huge event to me. And I believe that this will be episode 96 or 97. I go by seasons. So I don't really know. I know that this will be episode 40 of season three, which is crazy. I don't know how we got up to season three. Um, what I initially wanted to do was at the start of each calendar year, make a new season, but then I rebranded and I ended season two very prematurely and it only had, I think like 24 episodes in it, but we are going on, and which is crazy to me because if you think about it, I rebranded in what, July or August. So I've put out 40 episodes since then which where we used to do the old format when Matthew and I were running the podcast was one episode one episode per week debuting uh, on Sunday sun, late Sunday night early Monday morning which was great but now I'm like I'm like supersetting all these podcasts I'm just getting I'm getting as much content out there as possible and I also did my 2021 wrapped from Anchor which has all my analytics for the podcast and the growth on Spotify has been amazing. 53% more viewer um, listeners this year than last year. That is awesome. I that is that's incredible. Um, and I, I thought it was an interesting number they gave me was five people that listen to my podcast 
on Spotify listen to my podcast more than any other podcast. So I know five seems like a, a you know a small number, but that's five people that are mean probably the most to me. I mean that's that's awesome support. You guys are the best. Uh, enough about this shit. Let's get down and dirty and let's talk about what I came back here for yesterday. As you guys know, if you already listened to the podcast yesterday, that was week 13 NFL Pick'em. And we haven't talked baseball uh, enough on this podcast, considering how big of a baseball fan I am. And we haven't talked about it often enough, often enough. But then again, I think to myself, does the current state of, of the MLB and the current state of, you know, the whole lockout situation, does it warrant me even wasting my breath? Because I'm just going to get angry about it. But then I thought to myself, it's important to let people know what exactly is going on. So the first thing I will be doing in this podcast episode is talking about what free agent deals have gone down. I, I, I have the list in front of me. We could talk about every single one of them if you really want. There's way too many to actually talk about, but I will, <coughs> I'll start from the smallest to the biggest, and then we'll start talking about more and more as I go up the list. But uh, let's see where we could start here. But also an interesting stat that I see on the side here, uh, Sport Track. If you guys don't know what Sport Track is, it's a great website that it's uh, basically in any single sport you could look up uh, future free agents, um, contracts, how contracts are structured, how uh, the salary cap is structured for salary capped sports like the NFL. Uh, you could look up dead cap hit. You can look, it's tremendous for anything, anything financial or fiscal that you want to talk about in sports in general, any kind of sport. It is on sport track. So it's a great website. I use it all the time or as much as I, as much as I can. So let's go down. Let's talk about, I'll just roll through a lot of these. Uh, let's see, where should I start? I mean, is there really anything? All right. I guess I could start right. All right. Let's start with uh, Jose Quintana going to the, what does that say? The, is that the Pittsburgh? Oh, to the Pittsburgh. Okay. So I was looking in the wrong column. Of course I was. So Jose Quintana signs a one year, $2 million deal with the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's probably as good as the Pirates are going to have it. Uh, Roberto Perez signed with the Pittsburgh Pirates after his option was declined by the Cleveland Guardians now. Uh, Cesar Hernandez signed with the Washington Nationals. Rich Hill, the ageless Rich Hill, signed with the Boston Red Sox one year, $5 million. The guy, it's so funny because you're just waiting for this guy to crash and then he just keeps, I don't want to say keeps getting better, but he keeps pitching very well. So you have Rich Hill going to the Boston Red Sox. Dylan Bundy signing a one-year $5 million deal with Minnesota. That's some nice depth right there. Cole Calhoun, a really nice left-handed bat, 34 years old, probably more of a DH role at this point in his career. Signs with the Texas Rangers. He's coming off of a really bad year, but I mean, a lot of people have had down years after the 2020 shortened season kind of messed with their swing, messed with their timing, all that kind of stuff. So Calhoun gets a pretty nice deal and a nice deal for Texas, a nice cheap left-handed bat that could, that has a ton of pop. Then you got Michael Lorenzen going from Cincinnati to the Angels who have made a crap ton of moves, $6.7 million for one season. Pardon me for one second. I have to grab my water. My throat is getting dry. Let's just go over here. I have my dandelion tea as well, ready to go. Take a nice little sip of that. I honestly think the dandelion tea makes my throat dry, but you know what? It tastes pretty good, so we're going to keep rolling with it. Let's see. Where did I end off? I ended up on Michael Lorenzen. The uh, Boston Red Sox signed Michael Waka to a one-year $7 million deal, and I, I'm kind of surprised. I mean, don't well, let's not even get started on the Yankees, but usual heavy hitters in MLB free agency like the Boston Red Sox, like the New York Yankees, have kind of been dumpster diving so far. I mean... Granted, Rich Hill is is above dumpster dive, but at 42 years old, like what else can you really expect other than five innings? And then Michael Waka, who's coming off of a pretty bad year with Tampa Bay. Uh, I, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, obviously, I am a Yankee diehard fan, so I could care less about what Boston does. But from a baseball fan standpoint, it doesn't really make sense to me what the Boston Red Sox are per se doing so far. And then you got a nice uh, reliever move here. The uh, Daniel Hudson moved from the San Diego Padres. He signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers, one year, seven million. Good for him. Jordan Lyles, one year, seven million to Baltimore. That's probably the biggest splash that they're going to make. 
Uh, Manny Pena, who I wanted on the Yankees as a nice defensive backup catcher, goes to Atlanta, two years, $8 million. Solid signing for them. Corey Kluber leaves the Yankees after pitching a no-hitter and pitching pretty solid when healthy, and he goes to the division rival Tampa Bay Rays. So I fully expect every time Corey Kluber pitches against the Yankees this upcoming year, he will shut them down, probably six or seven scoreless innings every single time. It's just how it works. A nice little move here, uh, Kirby Yates, who missed all of 2021 with, I believe it was Tommy John surgery, uh, moved from Toronto. He signs a two-year, $8 million deal with the Atlanta Braves, another solid low-key signing by the Braves. And everyone forgets that Kirby Yates was one of the best relievers in baseball two years ago, and then he signed with Toronto, and then he needed Tommy John surgery. Andrew Heaney, you could shoot that man all to the sun for all I care. He was awful with the Yankees. Thank God he signed. Somehow gets $8.5 million from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Hats off to him. Uh, James Paxton signs a one-year $10 million deal with the Boston Red Sox, but I don't think he will be pitching the entire year. So it's interesting to see how that contract will be paid out. Uh, Corey Kniebel moves from the Dodgers, who's a solid reliever, to the Philadelphia Phillies, one-year $10 million. Yimmy Garcia signs with Toronto, two years, $11 million. That's a nice signing as well. Jan Gomes, which this is a little bit of a curious move to me for the Chicago Cubs because they have Wilson Contreras, who has been a horse behind the plate throughout his career. They signed um, Jan Gomes to a two-year, $13 million deal, which is pretty substantial for a backup catcher. And also another crazy, crazy statistic you guys won't believe. Since the start of 2015, this is the largest free agent contract that the Chicago Cubs have dished out. That's how crazy their farm system has been, and that's how crazy their trade game has been. That they do not sign people in free agency, that they either go out and trade for them, or they just bring them up from their farm system. So, yes, in today's day and age, in 2021, almost 2022, in a lockout right now, the largest deal the Chicago Cubs have given out in six years is a two-year $13 million deal. Crazy. Mark Melanson, or as MLB The Show likes to call him, Mark Melancon, goes to the Arizona Cardinals, two years, $14 million. Leori Garcia, who is a solid bench piece for the Chicago White Sox, re-signs, three years, $16 million. I thought he was going to have a strong market, um, but the Chicago White Sox and their front office have done a good job of wrapping up their free agents. Aaron Loop, who was low-key one of the best relievers, probably the best left-handed reliever besides for Josh Hader, in the MLB last year, lands a two-year, $17 million deal with the Angels. The Angels and, uh, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on his name. The the Oh my God. And I say his name all the time too. The owner of the Los Angeles Angels, I can't think of his name. Art Moreno, there you go. Art Moreno is flexing his financial muscles. Uh, hopefully because that team is god-awful, and they have two of the best players in baseball on their team, and they're terrible, and not to mention they have a healthy Anthony Rendon coming back as well, and the emergence of Jared Walsh, So they should, and the Fletch God, David Fletcher. So there's no, there's no excuse why this team should be as bad as they are, and I think they realize that. They're getting some much-needed pitching help, so good for them. Uh, Hector Neris signs two years, 17 mil with Houston. Eduardo Escobar, this is a really nice signing for the Mets. Two years, $20 million, uh, $10 million a year for a guy who drives in 70 to 100 runs every single year and will be their everyday third baseman is great. At 32 years old, that is a really solid two-year contract. Uh, Alex Cobb, who continues to get uh, MLB contracts, why, I don't know, lands a two-year $20 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. Noah Syndergaard, now this is the first deal. This was essentially the first free agent domino that fell. But I had a problem with this because Noah Syndergaard is going to be 30 years old this year. He hasn't essentially pitched in two years, and he pitched to the tune of a 9.0 ERA in two starts at the end of 2020. And he lands a one-year $21 million deal with the Los Angeles Angels. Now, I don't have a problem with Noah Syndergaard, or I do think that he should stop tweeting so much and just, you know, get back to trying to be a, a decent pitcher again. Uh, I have a problem with the fact that you're setting the market that early for a pitcher that has thrown five innings in the last two years. You're giving him $21 million. Now, Garen, I, I bet that's out of um, out of being desperate. That's also, you know, the Angels not really caring how much money they spend. That's also going off of past performances. I get that. 
$21 million at the beginning of free agency for a guy who's just coming off of Tommy John surgery. A little sketchy if you ask me, but better yet, the Angels than the Mets. I'd have a real problem if the Mets gave him that money. So let him go somewhere else where he can make the money that he won't be making in New York. And then you get Alex Wood, uh, a, a solid re-signing for the San Francisco Giants, two years, 25 mil. Another great signing by the New York Mets, Mark Canna goes from Oakland Two Queens, two years, $26.5 million. An absolutely beautiful, beautiful sign. A great right-handed bat. Gets on base a ton. And that's exactly what the Mets needed for Big Meat Pete and company to drive in all those runs. So, one second. Anthony Descalafani re-signs with the San Francisco Giants. Three years, $36 million. He definitely earned that. He pitched great. Actually led the MLB in shutouts last year with two. But you don't see that too often. Uh, Steven Matz, after winning 14 games as a back end of the rotation pitcher for Toronto, earns himself a four-year, $44 million deal with the St. Louis Cardinals. Solid signing by the Cardinals. I'm also extremely jealous. I wanted, if you guys remember in past episodes, I recall saying that I wanted Steven Matz as the fifth starter of the New York Yankees. I figured he would be as cheap as $11 million, maybe even $10 million. And he's still young enough to the point, how old is he? He's 30. So... You know, still young enough to the point where you can get a solid four years. You could definitely get your money's worth out of that contract. So I'm a little bummed about that. Uh, Justin Verlander gets a two-year, $50 million contract from the Houston, I was going to say the Houston Texans, the Houston Astros. Good for Justin Verlander, Thirty, going to be 39 years old, getting $25 million a year for two more years. Coming off of Tommy John surgery, you can have him. Avasael Garcia signs with Miami, who have been flexing their muscles a little bit lately. Good for them. Four years, $53 million. John Gray gets a humongously overblown $14 million per year contract with Texas. Four years, $56 million. Rysel Iglesias, who was the best reliever in the American League last year, gets a four-year, $58 million extension from the Los Angeles Angels. Chris Taylor gets a, a pretty cheap four-year, $60 million extension from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Marcus Stroman gets a three-year, $71 million contract from the Chicago Cubs. And I love how I just went on a whole rant about Jan Gomes signing that contract, and that was the biggest contract they've given out in six years, completely forgetting that Marcus Stroman signed with the uh, Chicago Cubs. So that's the biggest contract they've given out. That's a big one, $23.6 million a year for that one. Uh, then we move up Eduardo Escobar, Detroit, finally showing their, um, financial flexibility, five years, $77 million for the Southpaw. Then you go up and my, my favorite signing of the off season so far is Starling Marte going to the New York Mets four years, $78 million guy stole 49 bases last year, hit over 300, can hit for pop plays great defense. It's a fantastic all around signing for the New York Mets who really lack a true center fielder. And then you get the big daddy. The, the real first big daddy uh, long-term contract was Kevin Gossman getting a five-year, $110 million contract from the Toronto Blue Jays to replace uh, Robbie Ray. And speaking of Robbie Ray, uh, he gets a five-year, $115 million deal with Seattle, which is awesome. Good for him. Uh, Max Scherzer, which is the big papa. For the Mets, even though I think Starling Marte, for value purposes, is a great signing for them. Max Scherzer goes to Queens three years, $130 million, the largest annual average annual value of a contract in Major League Baseball history at $43.3 million a year. Well deserved. That is probably the best one two punch in MLB history uh, between Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer. I mean, you guess you could argue the three headed monster of John Smoltz. Greg Maddox and Tom Glavin. I guess you could say that too, but I'm going with these guys because these guys are lockdown pitchers in a hitter-friendly league at this point. And then you get Javi Baez going to the Detroit Tigers. Six. I've been talking so much football lately, I have to pause before I say the team name because I'm thinking about football. I was about to say the Detroit Lions. Javi Baez goes to the Detroit Tigers, six years, $140 million. Not really as high average annual value as I thought it would be initially on paper. $23.3 million a year for Javi Baez is pretty damn good. And then you get the, the second biggest winners of the offseason. I still think the Mets have the highest grade in my head so far of any team. But 
the combination of $500 million between Marcus Semien and Corey Seager to the Texas Rangers. They have their double play combination for the next at least seven years. Marcus Semien, seven years, $175 million after putting up 47 home runs for the Toronto Blue Jays. And then Corey Seager, the big daddy, 10 years, $325 million, $32.5 million a year coming over from the Dodgers to Texas. But the Dodgers don't have to cry because they still have Trey Turner under control for another two years and they don't have to worry about paying him then. And everyone thinks that Trey Turner is really young, but he's really not. He's already 29 years old. And I know that's still very young in layman's terms, but in baseball, 29 years old, you're already going towards that that slash line of second tier baseball player. You're not a superstar anymore, which is crazy, but that's how it's just perceived. So if you want my take of the grand scheme of things up until this point of what we have seen from baseball up until this point. Now, I don't know if I said this already. I think I did. Oh, I never did because I went on a whole tangent on how sport track is a great website, but teams. Okay. So this is how much teams have spent on free agency per year from 2018. So 2018, $1.4 billion, 2019, $1.8 billion, 2020, $1.8 billion, 2021, $1.3 billion. And then in November by itself, teams spent $1.9 billion in free agency between all those teams, and a lot of teams haven't even signed anyone yet. So you're talking about heavy hitters that haven't signed big-time contracts yet. So you, t- you you think about who? So Houston hasn't really dished out any big-time contracts. The Yankees haven't done anything. The Red Sox have done very minimalistic things. You, you know, the Chicago White Sox signed, I, I think they, who did they sign? They signed Kendall Graveman. That was a pretty solid signing. How did I miss that one? I completely skipped over Kendall Graveman over here, by the way. I, I see it now. And it went straight from Noah Syndergaard to Alex Wood. But yeah, so they, they've given out very minimalistic deals so far. So think about that, $1.9 billion from basically some of your, at least five or six of the top 10 spending teams in baseball haven't spent a dime or have spent very little money. It's really interesting to think. It puts it in an interesting perspective. Now, let's move over to who I think is winning the offseason. And this is an obvious answer. Uh, it is the New York Mets have my highest grade of the offseason so far. I give them an absolute A+. They have attacked every single area of need up until this point. They needed starting pitching. They get one of, if not the best starting pitchers in baseball and definitely the best starting pitcher over the last decade in Max Scherzer. They needed a center fielder. They go out and they get the prized center fielder um, free agent. And I know that Starling Marte is 34 years old, but he's only getting better with age, believe it or not. His numbers have steadily increased as time has gone on. Then you get Mark Canna, who could either be your everyday left fielder or platoon. He is awesome. He could also play first base. So uh, if you want to give Big Meat Pete a day off, that's viable too. Also, don't forget about Dominic Smith. He might be on the trade block. Who knows? Because now you have Mark Canna in left field and you got Big Meat Pete at first base and there's no sign of universal DH yet. So universal DH would clear up a lot of things for the Mets, but right now we're still stuck with regular you know, you're, the, the pitcher is still hitting in the National League. But, and then Eduardo Escobar to play third base for the next couple of years at $10 million average annual value is a tremendous piece of business. And I really respect Steve Cohen and the Mets front office right now for flexing their financial muscles, but not with every single deal. Every single deal doesn't have to be a blockbuster. You could fill your needs on your roster with perfect players like Canna and Eduardo Escobar are perfect players to fill needs that will get you. Mark Canna will get you a 350 on base percentage. Eduardo Escobar will drive in at least 75 runs. You know, those are great guys that you got for one guy. You got what? 13 and a half million dollars a year. And the other guy you got for $10 million a year. And then you flex your financial muscles by getting Starling Marte four years, 73 million. And then Max Scherzer three years, 130 million. But you went out and you got exactly what you needed. And they're definitely not done yet. And also the only thing, the only blemish I would say 
uh, that is on the Mets record so far this offseason is the fact that they still don't have a manager. I think that that is crazy. I I think it's crazy from the player perspective that you are signing with a team that doesn't have a manager yet. And I know that managers are don't really mean as much nowadays as they used to. You know, if you're a manager, you could essentially just be an analytical puppet at this point. You don't have to do everything in your head. You could just let the book do it for you. You know, you, you uh, what reliever should I bring in? Let's go to, you know, fucking page 67, subsection B, line 5. And it'll tell you that, you know, you, you bring in the left-hander because when uh, Bryce Harper is up at nighttime, when it's 743 and he picks his nose on the left nostril uh, and the wind is blowing 32 degrees out towards left field, he strikes out more often than not. So... You know, that's that's essentially they have they have analyzed baseball to death. So you don't necessarily need a thinker in there. What I think they should do is since there's really no manager you can go out and get that is that is really appealing. I think what they should do is sign Buck Showalter. And the reason why I think everyone who's listening that loves baseball is probably like, oh, my God, this guy loves old school baseball. And I do. And I also think analytics are necessary just not as much as they're used now, but <clears throat> pardon me. I think that Buck Showalter has said before that, yes, he is an old school manager, but he also likes to take an analytical approach. Now, look at last year with Tony La Russa. That was definitely not the most popular hire for the Chicago White Sox, but they went out and got an old school guy that knows how to handle a clubhouse that is pro analytics. And that's exactly what Buck Showalter is. And I think that he kind of got shafted by the Baltimore Orioles, you know, when they were going down in their collapse. Um, you know, he just was kind of there for the ride. And I, I didn't think that was a fair way for him to go out. So I think maybe a one to two year stint, just to kind of, you know, look at the rest of the field for the New York Mets in terms of long-term managerial options. I think Buck Showalter would be a perfect, you know, one to two year option. But then also you got guys like Mike Schilt out there who got, who was up for the manager of the year award and got fired by the St. Louis Cardinals. So that's also a nice, you know, option to have out there as well. Mike Schilt is a great manager. Um, also, you could try and pry Mike Matheny away from the Kansas City Royals. I, I've always been high on Mike Matheny. I think that he's a great, um, he is a great manager. Uh, moving on to the next team, I think, that has won the offseason. I mean, uh, you have to go with the two teams that have basically made the most signings. And and Texas has – I still – make no mistake about it. I still think Texas is nowhere near being a playoff team, team yet. I think just because you got two guys that could hit a lot of home runs, I don't necessarily think that solves your pitching problems. And then they also overpaid for John Gray. But if you're going to throw out a bunch of money, I mean, you might as well just throw it to everyone you need to. So – Signing Cole Calhoun at the Cole Calhoun that was not English. Signing Cole Calhoun to either be a DH or play right field and probably hit a ton of home runs is a solid move, especially for as little as they signed him. Then you have Marcus Semien, who's coming off of an MVP-like season, and then you have Corey Seager, who's consistently put up amazing numbers since he's made his MLB debut. So amazing signings all across the board. I mean. I don't really know what to say. Uh, I am kind of dumbfounded by the fact that the New York Yankees haven't made any moves. What They have made one move in the offseason so far, and they signed Jose Peraza. Yeah, Jose Peraza is the big money acquisition for the Yankees so far this offseason. And I know I'm not like one of those fans that think, oh my God, this is an absolute travesty that they haven't signed anyone yet. I'm disappointed, yes. But at the same time, I know that the, the Yankees front office is smart. Um, I think they're a little old school in their way of thinking that I think Randy Levine and Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner are kind of still in that cocky attitude where it's like, well, we're the Yankees. We can sign whoever we want. That's probably true, especially financially. You probably can go out there and sign whoever you want. But will you? Probably not. And not only that, free age, New York is not a free agent destination anymore. I got to be honest with you. I mean, whether it's the, you know, the living, con I don't want to say living conditions because you're not living under the subway, but whether it's the, you know, the, maybe the taxes, you know, living in New York, there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Or maybe the fact that you, you know, have been a borderline disappointment since you've won the World Series in 2009. Maybe that's also something as well. 
that's something that has to be thought of and taken into account nowadays because the Yankees aren't the big, bad, you know, evil empire that they were in the 90s and early 2000s and the late 2000s as well. I think fans have to realize that as well. This is a more George Steinbrenner would go out if he saw the Texas Rangers, the Texas Rangers go out and sign a shortstop for $325 million. He would piss away $500 million probably to sign Carlos Correa right now, just because he can't have anyone outspend the Yankees. The Yankees have a hole. Let's fill that hole by spending money and getting the right players here to win championships. George Steinbrenner only cared about winning, and that's the kind of owner that you want, someone that only cares about winning and not the business sense of it. But his son, Hal Steinbrenner, and I really can't even be mad at him. You know why? Because I'm not a businessman. I don't know what the Yankees, you know, finances looks like. I, I don't know how much money they're winning, how much money they're really taking home at the end of the day between salaries and all that bullshit. You, you know what I mean? Like, I, I understand the more business-like approach. And it's also saved the Yankees in the long run. Because if you think about how many bad contracts the Yankees handed out when George Steinbrenner was alive. And I mean, granted, the Yankees have handed out a couple bad contracts in their own right. You know, you think of Aaron Hicks, seven years, 70 million. Think of Luis Severino, four years, 40 million. But the big number there is the millions. It's only It only averages out to $10 million a year. So you're not paying for an Alex Rodriguez contract where I think the Yankees are still paying him for the next two years, even though he hasn't played baseball in like three or whatever it is. I don't remember off the top of my head. So really what I'm saying is I'm disappointed in the Yankees for not going out and attacking free agency the way that they should have because of the amount of holes that they have on their roster. I didn't want them to go out there and spend $200 million. Ow, I hit my, my arm on the, uh, on my desk there. I don't know if you heard that. I didn't want them to go out and spend all that money on Max Scherzer. I didn't want them to go out there and spend all that money on Justin Verlander. Would it have been nice? I mean, I'm not going to say, oh God, I can't believe we have to pay Max Scherzer $43.5 million a year. I wouldn't have gone out and said that. I would have been, oh my goodness, 37 years old, you know, 40 something million dollars, even even though he's a, a Hall of Fame pitcher. That's a lot of money. It's a lot of money to owe someone that's on the in the twilight of their career. And same thing with Verlander. The Corey Seager one kind of stung, I'm not going to lie. And so did Starling Marte. I really thought the Yankees had a nice shot at getting Starling Marte. And then once the Corey Seager domino fell, I was a little disappointed. Because that just solved so many Yankee problems right there. A shortstop for the next 10 years. A left-handed bat for the next 10 years. Whose swing is tailor-made for the short porch and right field. It was a little bit of a bummer, I'm not going to lie to you. But... I'm still I'm still hopeful and I'm still I'm still feeling positive. There's a ton of free agents that are still left out there. The only problem is the Yankees can go out there and sign them, but they can't do anything right now. And that moves me into the next part of this podcast episode, which is the unfortunate situation of the MLB lockout. So let me move over here. I'm gonna read a lot of this because I, I actually believe it or not, I know a decent amount about it. But I don't know as much as I probably should as well. And I'm not I'm not like upset to admit that. But essentially what happened was at eleven fifty nine Eastern Standard Time on Wednesday, the collective bargaining agreement between Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Players Association expired. So Thursday morning at twelve oh one, the league informed players that it locked them out. So you're shit out of luck. Sorry. No one works. Everything is canceled. The winter meetings have been canceled until further notice. Uh, this is the ninth MLB lockout, by the way. Uh, this is the first time the Players Association and the MLB have bargained since 2016. So they've gotten a bunch of short-term uh, CBAs out of this. So what exactly happened? Or what exactly... Like, how long do you think it's going to go? So. Right away, I know that there's a big rift between players and the income of the players and the owners. Now, the one thing that sucks is games might be lost. Because if you think about the turnaround of baseball, it's pretty quick. So we have, we're already in December. Winter meetings should have been starting soon. I don't remember the exact dates of winter meetings. Winter meetings should have been starting. Then guys sign, and guys typically sign over the past couple of years. The trend has been guys sign from 
like the beginning or end of the last couple of weeks of November all the way through maybe the end of January. Then, you know, February pitchers and catchers report, guys rarely sign. So like you don't have like a George Springer situation where Springer didn't sign until like late January last year or something like that. So, you know, it's a quick turnaround. Then guys get ready. You know, then you have spring training at the end of the month going through March. And the next thing you know, March 27th or 28th, whatever it is, is opening day. It's a very quick turnaround. So if this thing lasts a month, six weeks, it doesn't seem like a long time, but it is. It pushes everything back because then you have to open up winter meetings again because people haven't been negotiating. People haven't been meeting. People aren't working with each other. People haven't been talking. You know, you're not allowed to talk. Free agent, um, Agents aren't allowed to talk to the player, you know, the owners. They're obviously allowed to talk to the players. They're not allowed to negotiate. So there's a lot. It's a stalemate. And, you know, the minutes that go by, I know it's only been two days. Or, yeah, it's only been two days or one day, whatever. The lockout was confirmed yesterday. So it's been two days and... You know the time is ticking. We can't can't go too long with this. If you want baseball to start on time, and if you want a full 162 game slate, and you know playoffs to go from you know September to October or whatever, we're we're gonna have to get the ball rolling here. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to start talking. So I do anticipate that we're gonna lose some games, whether it be regular season games or preseason games. Who knows? I doubt that it's going to be regular season games, if anything. I always thought that spring training was like two weeks too long anyway. I thought that spring training for a month is really excessive. I know that you have to get your body ready to play every single day for, what, six months or whatever it is. But I think if we could, if we shorten spring training down to maybe like 20 days or, or like, or like three weeks or something like that, I think that would suffice. Playing fucking thirty-five spring training games is it just it just makes me want baseball more to count because like I love watching it. But I'm just like God damn, I wish this game counted. And it's a good game. It's nine eight in the bottom of the tenth. Like why am I watching this and not caring about the outcome? So I think if anything, games will be taken away from spring training and players will just have to deal with it. They'll have to self condition. They'll have to keep themselves in game shape on their own merit. And this is going to be interesting. I guarantee that when baseball does get played this year that there's going to be a lot of injuries. This is the same thing that we thought of two years ago, two seasons ago, rather, with the COVID shortened season, was that, you know, guys maybe haven't been training every single day. And, you know, even if you are, you're not, who, who knows if you're in game shape or not? You don't know if you're in game shape until you step onto the diamond and make a play or take an at bat. You get what I'm saying? You, you understand me, as Joey Diaz says, you, you, you follow me. So, you know, these guys could be in fantastic shape, but until they step on a diamond, who really knows how healthy they are or how in shape they are? So that's also something to consider, that it might take a toll on the players themselves. Another thing is, what's the main sticking point between the, the owners and the players? So I'm actually going to read this whole passage here because it does explain a lot, and then I'll, I'll comment on it. So it says, what is the sticking point in the negotiations between the owners and the players? Economics. Players feel with the emergence of analytics within front offices that fewer and fewer second or third tier players are getting paid when they finally become free agents after six years of major league service time, which is often when a player turns 20 or very close to, um, excuse me, 30 or very close to it. In general, players would like to be paid more at younger ages because that's when they're in their prime. The system also favors keeping players in the minor leagues for several weeks extra to slow down the major league service time. Players hate that. Okay. I didn't read the whole thing, but I have to comment on the fact that I 100% wholeheartedly agree with the players on this one. I think that, see, we saw, I remember the first prospect contract that I saw. And I think people might remember this too, because this guy was good for like a hot second and then just like fell off the face of the earth. I remember, I don't remember exactly what year it was, could have been 2014, 2013, 2012, whatever it was. John Singleton, a first baseman prospect from the Houston Astros, signed like a six-year, like $50 million deal. And I said to myself, when I got that notification, I was like, who the fuck is John Singleton? But John Singleton secured the bag early, 
the Astros wanted to pay him, pay him at a smaller rate now than, you know, say he takes, say he took off, say, say, you know, John Singleton, his second year hit 50 home runs, you know, wow, I'm only paying him $9 million a year, you know? And it's the same thing that happened with Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies. Ronald Acuna signed a, I think it was like a 10 year, 90, what was it? 10 year, 100, I have to look it up. I have to look it up because I, I know Ozzy Albies signed like a, like a seven year, $39 million contract. It was something ludicrous, but it was a couple of years ago when those guys still were up and coming. Ozzy Albies contract. Let's see what it says. Um, yeah, look at this. It's wow. He's still only 24 years old. That's insane. I feel like he's been around for a hundred years, even though I know he has, let's see. So they signed him. He will be making. Okay. Get this. So when they gave him the contract extension, I believe it was at the end of 2019. So the contract didn't kick in until 2021 where he made $3 million. Next year, he'll be making five and then he'll be making seven, 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 and then four in 2026. So Ozzy Albies could literally be a hall of fame player by 2026 and he'll still be making $4 million. It, it, it honestly is a good business strategy. I think that that's good. I, like that's fairer. I wouldn't say that seven years, $39 million is fair, but I think the Acuna contract was better. Let me take a look. Ronald Acuna. Definitely spelled that right. Hopefully uh, Acuna. Yes. Acuna eight years, $100 million. So he got $12.5 million average annual value. I think that's really fair. And it's fair on both ends because Ronald, and you know, you could also be, you could also get an extension too. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to live, you don't have to seek out that contract all the way to, you know, to the end. You don't have to be making $12.5 million up until 20, 2028. He'll be a free agent in 2029. So essentially, oh, there's, it's an eight year contract with two player options for $17 million each. So he could make up to 17 million. That is a lot of money. Is it Ronald Acuna money? No, because Ronald Acuna, when he's healthy, is probably one of the top five, maybe top three players in baseball. I'll say that. But I like this is a more fair way of doing contracts for both parties than what the MLB is trying to say. The whole service time thing, first off, I think service time should be lowered because there are guys that think of all the players in major league baseball history what percentage would you think have played 6 years professionally like at least 6 years i would say it's less than 50% and now i might be way off base here but think about how long 6 years is in the mlb so like imagine getting like a contract like Acuna, like, yeah, like think, all right. So if you have two years of service time in the MLB, so you're four years away from being an unrestricted free agent, which means you got all this arbitration time, everything, arbitration sucks. Why wouldn't you want to get that out of the way? And especially if there's opt-out clauses or there's player options later on, it's not that, but see like Acuna is a different case though, because he signed that contract two years ago and he could still, I think he'll be like 27 or I think he will be 27 for the first opt-out. So he'll still be in prime baseball like age. So he can get another humongous contract. There's guys that aren't like that. So I think that the fact that you need six years of service time before you're an undrafted free agent is absolutely crazy. I think it should be lowered. I mean, realistically, what are they going to lower it to? Maybe five, but five is better than six. But I think that's just a battle that can't be won. Uh, also, what is a a good thing about baseball is when those guys do reach, you know, unrestricted free agent territory, since baseball is not capped, they can get paid as much as possible. So, you know, there's no cap for baseball to work. There's luxury tax, but if these guys are spending $400 million in payroll, I don't think they mind paying whatever the luxury tax may be. So essentially 
you know, it, it's a good thing that baseball is uncapped because then you always have the potential to make as much as physically possible. But the problem with that is when you finally reach, you know, not everyone comes up in the MLB at 20 years old where, you know, if if you're an everyday starter and you don't get sent down and your 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 service time is six years when you're 26 years old, you could sign a 10-year contract and make a shit ton of money. I would say the average age of people coming up from the minors is probably 24, 25, you know? So think about that. You're you're already considered a second or third tier player by the time you're an undrafted free agent. I 100% understand where the where where the players are coming from, especially since I it, baseball isn't a revenue shared league, right? I don't think they are because then how would teams like the Pirates and the Rays have so little money? That I'm not entirely sure about, but essentially what I'm just trying to say is I think that it's very greedy on the owner's part that they're not willing to budge on the fact that, you know, think like 31 years old. Imagine, imagine coming up at 25, 31 years old. How long is a team going to give you? You're, you're going to live, the, especially the way that baseball is going and the way that contracts are going, you're going to live the rest of your baseball life on one-year contracts year to year. That's how it's just going to happen. That's how it's been happening. I mean, look at, I think Logan Morrison was a really good, I hate Logan Morrison, but I think it was a good, like, he was a good example because that year that he hit like 35 home runs or something, like he signed like a one year, like $3 million deal just because also the the valuation of home runs is depreciating by the year. But I remember him being like a solid left-handed bat, like 30 to 35 home runs. And he was just living all, he was hopping from team to team every single year. And I was like, what's wrong with this guy? And it's because, you know, he was over the age of 30. He's not going to get a long-term deal to hit 199 and hit 35 home runs. But at the same time, if you value home runs so much, you know, a lot of teams are long ball or nothing. <coughs> Yankees. Uh, yeah. So like, why wouldn't you give him a long-term deal? If the guy can pop 30 to 35 home runs a year. Oh, well, the body breaks down when you get older. Oh, you know, over, over the age of 30, your body changes. And don't give me that bullshit. Just pay the man. He's produced. That's It's just a hard pill for me to swallow to think that forget. See, like, look at judge. Doesn't judge have like another year of arbitration after this year. Like the guy is going to be what, 20, he's going to be 30 next year, I think. Like, granted, Aaron Judge is a superstar, but do you think he would get paid? If Aaron Judge waits all the way until being an undrafted free agent to sign with someone, do you think he would still get the same amount of money if, if he was 26 or 27 years old entering undrafted free agent territory? No, definitely not. Maybe, you know, it might be minimal. Maybe he'll get, still get $30 million a year at age 31, as opposed to maybe 35 at age you know, they're 26, but it, it, it still adds up over time. So let's see what else it says here. Um, additionally, they feel the cycle of teams rebuilding is limiting payroll. Okay. That's very valid. It's hundred percent valid. They would like some guardrails within the system to prevent those cycles. One good thing about the players, as long as there's no cap, the system will always pay the best of the best. That's something I just said. Something the league likes to emphasize. Owners haven't even offered a hard cap during the negotiation. Okay, that's good. That's good that the owners haven't even thought about a hard cap on the salary. I think that would be really interesting. Imagine baseball salary capped. How even the play, how more even, I shouldn't say even, how more even the playing field would be for teams like Baltimore, Pittsburgh, you know, these Tampa Bay, these small market, low budget teams. Well, I thought Texas was a low budget team until they blew out what 500 and like, what was it? $560 million on four guys. And two of those guys only equal 60 million of that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think that what they're saying here, additionally, they feel like site the cycle of teams rebuilding a hundred percent that has to do with it. Cause if you're rebuilding, if you have no talent, to, to build around. Like, look at Baltimore. Baltimore is in a perpetual rebuild every single year. That team will never be good again, at least under the ownership group. They will never be good again because they, they don't have a great farm system. 
any guy that performs adequately, they basically just let go in free agency. And they don't really sign anyone. They sign a bunch of role players every single year. And their farm system isn't getting better. They're not getting better. They're getting worse, actually, over this rebuild. What was the last time the the, the Ravens? See? I told you. Baltimore. What time were... What was the last time the Orioles were good? Uh, what, 2016? 2015? And then they went on a hard tank, maybe even 2017. But the fact of the matter is, if you're going to rebuild, you have to show some... That first year, yeah, it's going to be rough. You have to show some sort of improvement. You can't just keep recycling the same old bullshit every single year. And that's exactly what the Orioles are doing. And I bet the owners, despite the fact that no one really shows up to the games, I bet the Orioles owners are still making a shit ton of money off of that team. Because they don't pay anyone. Let's see what the... All right, let's pull up the uh, salary. What is the, f- the fuck is it called? The... the um, God, I'm, I'm... I've been talking too much today. My I've also had very little sleep. I had those two doctor's appointments back-to-back really early in the morning. I got home at 12.30, didn't fall asleep until 1.45, and I had to wake up at 7 to go to the doctor. Not a nice thing when you have to wake up at 7 to go to the doctor. Um... Payroll. That's what I was looking for. MLB payroll from last year. Let's see. Let's see what we find. Ah, sport track again. Never let me down. Uh, okay. Well, this is up to date. So up to date right now, the Mets have the highest payroll because they added uh, Max Scherzer to the forty-man roster. Wow. Very surprising, actually. Okay. So wow. The Cleveland Guardians have the lowest payroll at... Tw- nope, this is not an order, is it? Uh, excuse me. The Pittsburgh Pirates have the lowest payroll as of right now at $23.5 million. But they also only have 23 guys on their roster. So if you average it out, they're paying each guy a little over a million. <laughs> over a million. And then you have the uh, Orioles who are next. Twenty. See, this is even worse. They have 27 guys on their roster, and they're only paying them $23.75 million. So the Orioles are just going to be continuously shit every single year because they never spend any money, and the ownership group is just holding on to that money, collecting profits, and they're not essentially getting better in any stretch of the imagination. They're a laughing stock of baseball. So... To put that into consideration, the Mets have the same amount of people on their roster as the Baltimore Orioles, and their payroll is $235.6 million. So basically 10 times what the Orioles is with the same amount of people on their team. And honestly, if you break it down, you take a couple of superstars away from the Mets, they're really not as they're really not that far away talent-wise. But that's what I mean. If you put a hard cap on baseball. What would you say is a good hard cap? Let's look at what the middling teams have. So what is middling? I'd say anywhere between like like 12 to 20 is middling. So you have between $85 million and $115. So if the MLB put a cap on salary at like $130 million, (laughs) The Blue Jays, the Cardinals, the Astros, the Angels, the Phillies, the Red Sox, the White Sox, the Padres, the Yankees, the Dodgers, and the Mets would have a seriously tough time getting underneath that cap. And it will put a lot more players out there in player pools. And I think that it would be a really interesting thing. It will never happen. And honestly, I kind of don't want it to happen. But it would definitely be interesting if that ever happened. But getting back to it, yes, I don't like the fact that teams just keep saying they're going into a rebuild, tearing it all down, and just collecting the profit. So I'm not for that. All in all, I want to wrap up. This is actually one of the longer episodes I've had in quite some time, I feel like. All in all, what I'm really trying to say is I'm kind of worried for MLB baseball this year. Uh, It just seems like the owners are getting greedier and greedier every single time. And also, yes. Okay. So I thought to myself, it is true. The MLB is not a shared revenue business like the NFL is. That's why all NFL teams are basically on an equal playing field because the sport is capped and the revenue is shared throughout the league. That's why you got teams like the Dolphins and the and the Jaguars and the Arizona Cardinals who, and the, the Los Angeles Chargers who don't draw in a crowd that fills up their stadium. That's why they still can spend money. Because the revenue is shared across 
all 32 owners, which is, I, I like that. I would love to see the revenue shared across the owners and MLB, but the sport not capped. Can I get like the best of both worlds? Can I still see the, the, the Mets spend $500 trillion in free agency, but the Pirates have a $100 million payroll? That would be nice to see. You know, I think it would make baseball, I also think it would make baseball a lot more watchable, which is, uh, which would be interesting because think about it, like if teams had more money to spend, then some destinations automatically become more attractive because there are, there are baseball players that play for the love of the game. There are baseball players that play for, you know, to win championships and there are baseball players that play to get paid, bitch. That's just the way that it fucking works. You know, not everyone's going to want to go out there and, and win a title for $10 million. They'd rather go play, you know, under 40 games under 500 baseball and make $25 million a year. And you really, honestly, they're at that level. They can make that decision. We can't. So you can't fault them for making a decision because you never know when it's going to end. That's, you know, at first, I'm not going to lie. When I first heard these, like, like when I, when I first saw the NFL contracts getting crazy, I thought to myself, you know wow, it's just these players getting greedy. But then I thought to myself, this is all these guys have ever known. They have a God-given talent that very few people in the world possess. Why can't they make as much money when they can off of that talent? Because if you, let's face it, any professional athlete, you throw them into the real world, a lot of them don't have a leg to stand on. A lot of them might not even have a savings from the earnings that they've made. But what I'm trying to say is that that's their profession we're just all salty because we don't make millions of dollars to hit a ball or to catch a ball or to tackle a guy or to kick a ball into a net or to throw a ball into a, uh, a peach basket or whatever it may be. You know, we, we, we don't get paid that much money. So I feel like a lot of people's judgment are cl is clouded by the fact that they're just jealous that they can't make that much money because they don't have that God-given talent. But if you look at it subjectively and through a different lens and you have some perspective on it, you think to yourself, yeah, if that was you in that situation – and you have an injury history and, you know, you're 27 years old and maybe your prime is slowly but surely closing and you have an opportunity to go to uh, uh, Seattle is actually pretty good now. Okay. You have the opportunity to go to Baltimore and make $15 million or you have the opportunity to go to San Diego and make seven. I am going to go to Baltimore and make 15 because that's two years salary where else I would be. And who knows? I can get hurt. I could... You know, I, I could get hurt. I could never be able to play baseball again. And then I'm up Shit's Creek without a paddle because now the only sport or the only thing I've ever known that I do professionally is now gone and I can't do it anymore. So I think the owners and fans need to really look at it through a, through a different perspective and an objective lens. Uh, I think that's a lot of – and I think that also – I hope people don't get offended when I say this. I also think that stems from the older generation of baseball fans – who kind of, you know, you feel you back in those days in, 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 you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, you, you, you feel depressed, you feel sad, you go to work, you know, you're injured, you go to work, look at Mickey Mantle, probably would have been the greatest baseball player of all time if he was able to stop playing baseball and get like knee replacement surgery, just kept playing. He played basically 90% of his career on bum knees and was still as good as he was. You know, you just went out there and you did it, but you know, times change and, and, and that's not the generation that we're a part of anymore. Now there's much more money involved in it. Back then it was, you worked or you didn't eat, you know, you played baseball or you didn't eat, or you played baseball and you still had a job at the grocery store down the block after the game, you know, and Jimmy Fox hit a walk off home run. Now he's got to go fucking wash cars, you know, like <laughs> that's how it was back then. Now it's different. and. And, you know, I, I, I just kind of, I think I went on a really weird tangent there, but basically what I'm trying to say is if the players want more money, especially the players that are on, on the older side, want more money or want the ability, you don't have to give it to them just to have the ability to make more money when they're in their prime. That's a crime in my opinion, to not let these players do that and to send them down. I don't even want to talk about the whole minor league system because the whole minor league system is fucked in its own right. Everyone knows that. Like, those guys make like $500 a week to play minor league baseball. And then, of course, the recourse argument is, oh, well, they don't have to play baseball. They can go finish college and they can go uh, and they can go be an astrophysicist or, or uh, you know, a, a forensic accountant. 
Oh my God. There's recourse action on every single thing that you do in your life. Let's fucking hang it up, people. This is all they ever know. They have a talent. If you had a talent to paint and I told you that you can't paint because you have to go put shingles up on a roof to make a living and you have no time to paint, how are you going to feel? You're going to feel like shit. And that's not right. So if you have a talent and you think that you could exploit it and make a living off of it, you should have every resource at your feet to do so. And there you go. There's my TED Talk. I'm going to end on that note because I thought that was a really good one. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this longer-ish episode. I really appreciate it. I mean, I love this episode. I don't get to talk baseball as much because, number one, it gets me aggravated at this point. And number two, there hasn't really been much going on besides for those huge signings uh, and the lockout. So I figured I'd update you guys on that now. But thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Please don't forget, if you are in the market for a ball sack trimmer this holiday season or your loved one needs a a body trimmer, or even a beard trimmer, some ball bomb or something, ball powder, whatever it is, use code PTVSports at manscaped.com to get 20% off your final purchase and free shipping to anywhere in the world. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day.